Second, Second Chronicles. Yeah, hey, it's been it's been a a few weeks. We had uh, a VBS, and last week while you guys were roasting, I was in California enjoying a week with my family. Blessed I was. For those of you who are here, I know you were blessed. I got a chance to listen to Pastor Brad's message on worship, and that was fantastic. We are in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and if this is your first time or if you're recently joining us on Wednesday nights, we're going through the Old Testament, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and because of that and because of the way the Bible is laid out for us, we actually have repeated a few stories that we've gone through not terribly long ago when we went through First and Second Kings, and tonight's another example of that. You know, it was funny, I was thinking about that today, and it was back, I even looked it up, it was back on, or first part of November, when we were in First Kings, or I'm sorry, Second Kings chapter 18, which by the way, while I'm talking, you might want to turn there too, because we're going to be going back and forth, because to get a full picture of the story. But I was thinking about that, I said, you know, that was only a few months ago, but then I started thinking back, I remember, it wasn't when I was a kid, and maybe some of you still as adults, you can confess to this, that you watched movies over and over. You ever do that, where you watched a whole bunch of movies over and over? I mean, how many of you saw Star Wars more than once? Okay, I mean, and even though you know at the end of the movie, the Death Star's gonna blow up, the good guys win, you know? Darth Vader's gonna get away, but you know, you know how it's gonna end, but you still watch the, the, the whole movie. And tonight, we're gonna go through one of, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, um, for those of you who have uh, listened to me for long enough and know me, one of my, my favorites are, you know, Elijah and some of the other ones like that. But this one tonight is, is one of those that's right up there. And when VBS speaking of a couple of weeks ago, that was one of the questions I asked the kids, you know, what's your favorite movies? And, you know, kind of the main theme now with kids is all the superhero movies that are out. And why is that? You know, and it's all of these crazy things that happen and things that, you know, all of this stuff that we wish that we could have those powers and wish we could do all that kind of stuff. And then I asked their favorite stories in the Bible. And this one tonight wasn't one of them, but, you know, David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den and all those other ones. And I said, okay, now what's the difference? And every one of them got it right. It was awesome. They said, well, the ones in the Bible are real. (laughs) The the ones that are on the movies, those are just make-believe. And as we kind of set this up and to go into this tonight, we're looking at, again, continuing in the life of Hezekiah. And when we look at this, again, this is one of those stories. When we get the end, if you don't know the story, you're going to think like, no way. And I'm going to, yeah, way, really, this really happened. And it's different than the movies. This is, this is the word of God. This is a real event that took place. But as we're going through this, unlike Star Wars, they didn't know the end. Hezekiah didn't know the way it was going to. He didn't see the, the, the script. He didn't, he didn't read the script ahead of time as he's moving through this. But again, an amazing, amazing story tonight. We've, we've looked at uh, a couple of chapters leading up to chapter 32 in Second Chronicles, the, the life of Hezekiah, the reign to this point. We noted that God is careful to tell us in Second Kings that there's never been a king before him and won't be after him in Judah. 
one that followed after the Lord, one that loved the Lord, one that his father was a wicked king, actually had closed up the temple. That was one of the first things he did, reopen everything, clean it all out, uh, remove all of the high places and all of the idolatrous worship, reinstituted the Passover. There's a massive revival going on now in Judah because of Hezekiah's godly leadership. And as we move into this, we, he's, the, it tells us in 2 Kings that in the sixth year of his reign, he's only 31 years old at that time, Assyria invades the northern tribes of Israel and carries them off into captivity. That takes place during the first few years of Hezekiah's reign. Also during those years of his reign, he told Assyria, we're not going to serve you anymore. His father had made a deal with Assyria. He said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're, we're not going to follow after that. He kind of rebelled against Assyria during that. Now, eight years later, after, the, after the, the northern tribes have been carried off into captivity by Assyria is where we pick up tonight. And we, we mentioned this last time in closing, but it bears repeating. Verse 20 and 21 of, of chapter 31, it says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. He did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God Every work which he began in the service of the house of God in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. He was all sold out for God. Everything that he did, God's careful to record this for us. This is a godly man. And you would expect that chapter 32 would start off. And because of that, he had every day perfect. Never had a problem. Everything was smooth sailing. All, all sunshine and 70 degrees. But notice this. This is what it says. Chapter 32, as it starts out, after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. Again, I mentioned Hezekiah had rebelled against Assyria. Now Assyria is coming to collect, if you would. And I mentioned if you'd turn with me to 2 Kings, like I said, we're going to jump back and forth a little bit. But it gets, we get a fuller picture when we look at 2 Kings, um, also recorded for us by the prophet Isaiah, the same, the same count as in 2 Kings. Verse 13 of chapter 18 says, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Re withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So we see his initial reaction was, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have done that. Whatever it is that you want from me, I'll pay you. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah of Judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold, which turns out to be about 11 tons of silver and a ton of gold, roughly $50 million in today's money. Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Then, verse 17, the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rebsaris Reb and Rebshekah from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a large army to Jerusalem. The king of Assyria says, okay, I'll take your money. Send me all of this money. He sends it all to him, didn't buy him off. 
He sends the army. He comes on ahead. The enemy's a liar. The enemy will, the enemy will say, hey, you just come in just this little bit. You take care of this. I'll leave you alone. Everything will be fine. Can't negotiate with the enemy. Can't negotiate with your flesh. Can't negotiate in those areas at all. Again, Hezekiah, we see this is one. He, he makes little stumbles along the way in, in our story. And here's one of them. Instead of doing what he'll do later on, as we're going to see, he tries to appease the enemy. He tries to make a deal with the enemy. And again, he should have known from what worked out, what, how it worked out with his father that it's not going to work. The enemy will take all that you have and demand more. The world will take everything out of you and continue to demand more and more. Well, so now keep your finger here. We're going to be back. But turn back to now chapter 32 of Chronicles, he finds out that obviously that's not working. There's word that comes that the entire army, the Assyrian army is coming. Verse two, now when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he decided with his officers and warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city and they helped him. So that everybody kind of comes together. We're going to cut the supply off. So many people assembled and stopped up the springs and the stream which flowed through the region saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? They're going to come try to kill us. And we mentioned this before. The way Assyria did that is they'd surround a city. They'd besiege a city. They'd surround it, cut off all supplies coming in and out. And they'd just wait and starve them out or cause them to surrender that way. So they're, they're going to surround and just kind of hang out. And they're saying, why should we give them water while they're hanging out? We're going to cut off the water to them. And, they took, and he took courage and rebuilt all the wall that had bro been broken down and erected towers on it and built another outside wall and strengthened the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in great number. He appointed military officers over the people and gathered them to him in the square at the city gate and spoke encouragingly to them, saying... Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all of the horde that is with him. For the, for the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. It tells us initially as we're reading there that he does all of these things. He fortifies the city. He rebuilds the walls. He puts watchtowers, he, the weapons, armies, all that kind of stuff. But that's not any, they didn't take any solace in that. That's not why they didn't fear the enemy. It goes on to what he said, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because the king of Assyria is only, an, only flesh. We have the, the king of Assyria is coming against us. We have the king of kings on our side. The Lord our God will help us and fight our battles. And it says, and they relied upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You know why they relied on the words of the king of Hezekiah of Judah? Because the king of Hezekiah of Judah relied on the words of God. Interesting as to the way this plays out, the, the, at the end of, well, turn back to 1 Kings, this time though to chapter 20. 
This is the after, the, after we conclude the story tonight, it's, this is misplaced in the order. It says in verse one of chapter 20, in those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. This part that we're gonna look at right here, I and a lot of commentators believe actually happened before, and I'll tell you why, happened right before what we're talking about now. The, the point, the, the, the section that we're talking about. It says, in those days, King Hezekiah became mortally ill and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord your God, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and said, get everything in order, you're going to die. You're not gonna live. You're sick, you're not gonna make it out of this. Now, when I read that, I'm, I'm wondering what's going through Isaiah's mind. He gets this word from the Lord that he's supposed to go and tell this godly king, the one who there's never been one like him before and there won't be one like him afterwards that's turned the whole nation around and back to God and reinstituted the Passover and all this stuff. And God says, go tell him he's gonna die. I don't know about you, but my, my, my thoughts inside of me are, what are you talking about? Why would you, why would you take him out? But Isaiah, if he questioned that, it's not recorded for us anywhere that he questioned God. He was simply obedient. He went and did what God told him. And he went to the king and he said, get get your house in order. You're going to die. You are not going to recover from this. Verse 2, then he, Hezekiah, turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out of the, of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add, note verse 16, I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then Isaiah said, take a cake of figs and they took it and laid it on the boil and he recovered. Now Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? Now, we can see from verse eight that it's not faith that healed Hezekiah. They put, a, they put a raisin cake on the boil that was on his leg and it disappeared and that wasn't enough. <laughs> He's like, okay, what will be the sign that I'm gonna go up now on the third day that that really took care of it? Isaiah said, this shall be the sign for you that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or go back 10 steps? So Hezekiah answered, it would be easy for the shadow to decline 10 steps. No, but let the shadow turn backward 10 steps. The shadow, you know, as you know, it goes the same every day as the sun moves across and he's saying, okay, do you want it to just jump forward 10 steps or do you actually want it to go back 10 steps? Hezekiah said, well, it's pretty easy for it to go forward 10 steps. Let's have it go backward 10 steps. I'll know it's God then. Isaiah the prophet cried to the Lord and he brought the shadow on the stairway back 10 steps by which it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So 
The reason I, I say this is because of what it says in verse six, uh, verse six of what we looked at. I will add 15 years to your life. Remember when we were looking back in the, in the previous chapter, it's eight, eight years later from the, from the sixth year of his reign. So we know it's 14 years. You add 15 years to that, we get the number of years that Hezekiah reigns as king. It tells us that. So we know that this, this event took place sometime in that year. And it would make sense because God said, I'm going to deliver you from the hands of the Assyrians. And it's with that confidence that Hezekiah then goes to the people and says, don't fear. God, God is on our side. He is the one who has said that he will deliver us. And it is with that, that encouragement, that strength that they move forward. So back in chapter 32 of 2 Chronicles, he relies on the word of the Lord. The people are, are encouraged by that. Verse 9. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent servants to Jerusalem while he was besieging Lachish with all his forces with him against Hezekiah, king of Judah, and against all Judah who were at Jerusalem, saying, thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And we're going to see that this guy kind of has a, has a little bit of an ego problem <laughs> as we move through this. But again, I, it's just such a, an amazing picture of the world and the enemy that is so boastful and proud and arrogant. Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria. On what are you trusting that you are remaining in Jerusalem under siege? Is not Hezekiah misleading you to give yourselves over to die by hunger and by thirst, saying the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before one altar and on it you shall burn incense? Do you not know that I and what, my, what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of all the lands? Were the gods of the nations of the lands able to deliver them their land from my hand? Who was there among all the gods of the nations which my father utterly destroyed who could deliver his people out of my hand that your God should be able to deliver you out of my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you like this and do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers, how much less will your God be able to deliver you from my hand? His servant spoke further against the Lord and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to insult the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, as the gods of the nations and the lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. They called out, they called this out with a loud voice in the language of Judah so the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them so that they might take away the city. They spoke of God, of the God of Jerusalem as of the gods of the peoples of the earth, the work of men's hands. Now here in these verses, again, we're going to go back to 2 Kings because there's a whole lot more detail of this story in 2 Kings. So if you'll turn back there with me. Some of it's a little, a little bit of a repeat, but there's a lot more fill, um, a lot more other material in here that really, I think, drives home the point. Let's pick up where we left off in verse 17 of chapter 18 in 2 Kings. 
So they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they went up, they came and stood by the conduit at the upper pool, which is on the highway of the Fuller's Field. So here's the three representatives of Assyria surrounded with this huge army. We know the army is at least 185,000 men. We know that. We'll see why in a minute. But so that this is surrounding. The three representatives come and they meet representatives now that Hezekiah sends out when they call to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Sennacherib, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then Rebshekah said to them, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? Who do you think you are? Anyway, coming up against us, standing up against us, telling us you're not going to serve us, not surrendering yet. What is this confidence you have? You say, but they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for war. But out whom do you rely? And, who do you, and that you have rebelled against me. Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans on it, it will go up into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. Saying, if you're thinking you're going to get help from Egypt, that's like leaning on an on a old reed that if you put your weight on it, it would break and stab you in the hand. You're not going to get any help from Egypt. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, it is, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Notice now he's saying, so if it's not Egypt, you're going to trust in the Lord God, God Almighty, the Yahweh God that you worship. Isn't that the God that Hezekiah, your king, took away all of your places of worship for him and are requiring you to go and worship in Jerusalem? Guys, that is why it is so important to know God's word yourself. Because that is exactly what God's word said. God told his people, you don't worship anywhere on these high places. You worship in one place, in one place only, that I will designate. And he designated that in Jerusalem. And, but if, if, we're not, if they're not careful, if we don't know the word of God we're going to be able to hear others who say, doesn't God say, doesn't God say, isn't this what the word of God says? And if we don't know it, we can't refute it. But here it is right here. There, he's saying, is it, didn't he take down all the places where you're supposed to worship God? No. He took down all the places they, were, they weren't supposed to worship God. And he forced them to worship in the one place where God says you're only supposed to worship in that one place. Now, therefore... Verse 23, come and make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able to, uh, if you, if on your part, to set riders on them. Now he's mocking them. I'll even give you 2,000 horses if you can find 2,000 people to ride them. How then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants? How can you drive back with, with force even one of ours? And rely on Egypt for chariots and horsemen. Again, he's just, he's just mocking. Have I come, have I now come up with the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now we know that's not true, right? <laughs> we know that's not true. Because we just read what happened in, in chapter 20. We know that God said, I'm going to deliver you. And we're going to see as, as Hezekiah 
as we move along, they're not, they're not even going to fire one arrow. So we know that he's lying. He's using this again to trick and to deceive and to, and to move across. And I do think that it's important here just to, just to pause for a moment because there seems to be credibility that's given to people when they simply say, God told me. The Lord told me. And while we shouldn't dismiss out of hand when somebody says the Lord told me, we shouldn't just accept it because somebody said the Lord told them. I've had several people come up to me and say, you know, the Lord told me that you're supposed to da-da-da-da-da. Okay, well, I talk to God every day, and he hasn't said anything about that yet to me, but I'll keep praying about that because I don't want to close it off completely, but I'm not just going to take your word for it that God said it to you. I mean, I, I need to hear from that. And so, A, just to, to us, we have to be cautious because if we said the Lord told me, you better make sure the Lord told you because <laughs> you're speaking for him now. But secondly, if somebody does that, again, don't dismiss it out of hand because God has spoken through others to me many times. Through my wife, very often. <laughs> but we, don't, we can't just take it that for, as that. We need to pray, be in God's word. He will reveal it. If it's true. And then again, that's just a lot of times it's confirmation that, oh, wow, you know, God is speaking through that person to me and take heed to it. But here, obviously, the, it's not true. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah and Shebna of Joah, said to Repshekah, speak now to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it and do not speak to us in Judean in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. So they're saying, don't talk about all of this stuff in the language that everybody can understand. Because can you imagine? There's a whole bunch of people up on the wall listening to this conversation that's going on down there. And they're saying, talk to us in Aramaic. We understand Aramaic. They don't. So don't talk to us in our, our native Hebrew tongue because they understand that and we don't want them to freak out. And he's like, that's my point. But Reb Shekha said to them, verse 27, has my master sent me only to your master to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? And again, that's the whole point. That's what they want to do. They want to freak them out. They want to put panic. And again, that's, doesn't the world try to do that? Get fear and panic going? The what their, their whole thing is, is fear, is terror. Surround them, starve them out. Then Reb Shekha stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand. By the way, he never said he would. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me, and eat each of his vine, and each of his fig tree, and drink each of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, the Lord 
will deliver us. In verse 31 and 32, just like the enemy, I mean, took all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but continues with the same lies, the same deceptions, even today. Don't listen to God. Don't listen to the, the words that, that are in this. They're, they're so restrictive. They're, God, God's holding out on you. You want to really enjoy life? Come over with me. Come over here. It'll be just like there, except there won't be as many rules. And you can actually really have everything all for you. And again, lies and deceptions. None of this is true. Yeah, we'll take you to a land that, that, that's, that, that looks a little big and everything, but you're going to be slaves there. You're, you're going to be tormented there. You're going to be, it, it's not for you. We're going to lure you out with this stuff. And that's what the enemy does. That's what, that's what, that's what drugs say. Come on over here. You can, you can enjoy this. There's, 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 there's nothing, just come on, this, it's all for you. Alcohol, pornography, all of the, the vices and the sins in the world saying, just come. This is where true enjoyment is. This is where you can truly, truly have fun. You can have happiness and joy here. It'll be your world. It's a lie. You're a slave to those things. Every minor little kick has a huge kickback. Trying to draw them out. Don't, don't be misled. That's what he's saying. Don't be deceived. God, again, we talk of this often. God, the way God set this up, the words that he's given us, the commandments that he's given to us, the laws that he, that he tells us to follow in that are for our benefit. Not to control us. It's to liberate us. To give, us, to give us freedom to walk in this newness of life. If there's any of you here that, that, like me, bought the lie of the world for a while, I can stand here and I can testify now. It's a lie. Right now, the freedom that I have, I wouldn't, I, there is no way I would go back. It's all a lie. And this was all a lie. Verse 33, he continues, as has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his hand from the hand of the king of Assyria? Of course not, because they're not real. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad and the gods of Sepharim and Hena and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was do not answer him. And I, I love that. They, 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 they believed, again, they believed God. They believed Hezekiah. They believed the God of Hezekiah. He was their God. All of the, all of the things that had been going on for the past eight years, the revival, the seeing God's working again, and, and all of this prepared them for this. Guys, don't go into thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to keep at arm's length everything. You know, I'm just going to kind of ride along. And then if anything ever happens one day, I'm just going to, then I'll jump on board. It doesn't work that way. The reason that they were all so certain is because they had been, this, this revival had taken place in their hearts and in their country. And because of that, they were able to stand firm in the word of the Lord following Hezekiah in this. 
Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told the words of Rebshakeh. This is a sign of humility, tearing their clothes. When the king Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he and Eliakim, who were over the household with Shebna, the scribe and the elders and the priests, covered with sackcloth, went to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, rebuke, rejection, for children have come to birth and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rebshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God. Again, he, see, he hears it. He sees it. Hezekiah already calling out to Isaiah. He's coming against the living God. He might be coming against us physically, but he's calling out God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor, return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Verses 8 through 13, just for the sake of time, real quickly, they return, but the entire army stays there. Just, just Reb Sheka returns, sends a letter back saying, don't, don't think that we're going away. As a matter of fact, we're, we're, this is far from over. And again, the entire city is still surrounded. Verse 14, then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. He went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are, note, the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations in their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wooden stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from the hand, and all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. I love this. He goes, he gets this news. Again, the, the, the letter comes back. We are coming to absolutely destroy you, and your God is powerless to do anything about it. He goes before God with this letter and basically holds it up and says, hey, God, this was addressed to me, but it's actually your mail. It's for you. This, I'm your child. I'm the one following after you. This is for you. And I love the prayer because it's the right request in verse 19, but also the right motive. He's saying, Lord, deliver us that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. He's calling you out, God. So deliver us so that everybody knows that you're king, not him. That you're in charge, that you're the sovereign one, that you're almighty God, not this king of Assyria. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, verse 20, 
sent to Hezekiah saying, thus the Lord, the God of Israel has said, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Israel, I have heard you. Because you prayed, I heard. This is the word of the Lord that the Lord has spoken against him. She, that's now speaking of Israel, has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem, whom you have reproached and blasphemed and against whom you have raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel, whom you have reproached and blasphemed. You're, you're picking on them, but God is saying, you're picking on my kids, so guess what? You just picked a fight with me. Through your messengers, you have reproached the Lord. You have said with my chariots, you notice again, remember how many times he said my hand? And said, with my chariots, I came up against the height of the mountains to the remotest parts of Lebanon. I cut down its tall cedars and its choices, the, the choice cypresses. I entered the farthest lodging places in the thickest forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters. And to the sole of my feet, I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. All this boasting that you've done about your hand, everything. Notice what God said. Have you not heard long ago, I did it? From ancient times, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore, their inhabitants are short of strength. You didn't do this because you're strong and mighty. You're doing this because you're simply a tool in my hand to bring judgment on these nations. I'm the one who made them weak. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as vegetation of the field and a green herb as grass on the housetops is scorched before is grown, is, is grown up. I did all of that. Verse 27. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in. Can I just say, though, that first part of verse 27, really, it tells you where you sit with God as to how that verse hits you. Because that's a blessing to the child of God. But that should give you a shudder if you're not a child of God. It says, I know you're sitting down, you're going out, you're coming in. I know everything about you. I know everything you do. Nothing goes without my notice. Like I said, for us children of God, that's awesome. But for Rabshakeh and Sennacherib, not good news. Because of your raging against me, because of your arrogance has come to my ears, therefore I will put a hook in your nose. Remember we talked about that? That's one of the things that they do. They stick a hook in their nose, hook in their jaw. That's how they take their, their captives around. I'm going to put a hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. And I will return you back by the way which you came. This will be a sign. He then, he then gives a sign then to Israel. You're going to, in three years, you're going to be planting, growing, eating, even here. Therefore, verse 32, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. And he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he will return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city and take it up for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. We read that same thing that he said in verse 6 of chapter 20. Remember, I will add 15 years to your life. I'll deliver the city. Then it happened, verse 35. That night, 
that the angel of the Lord, one angel, and by the way, not archangel, it doesn't say it was Michael, doesn't say it was Gabriel, this is just an angel of the Lord, Bob, or went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, the the baddest army in the world. 185,000 of them. One night, one angel. They woke up, they were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, returned home, lived in Nineveh, came about, he was worshiping in his house. Verse 37 says that he was killed by a couple other people there. Like I said, guys, I mean, I, that story, that's a movie I could watch over and over and over again. Which, by the way, I don't want to get on a, off on a rabbit trail here, but I will say I watched another the other day. It drives me crazy. When they make movies and they say they're movies of the Bible and then they change it. You don't need to change any of that. People say it's hard. Remember that whole Bible miniseries? It just drove me crazy. Because there's, yeah, there were some things there. It was loosely based on the Bible, I think. And people say, well, it, it was actually good because it got people reading the Bible. I have a different take on that. The problem is if it gets them reading their Bible, they're going to read the Bible and say, that's not what happened in the movie. I, I, yeah, the book is always better. I, they, they came out with a movie off of the miniseries. If you remember that, I can't remember the name of it. It was a few, several few years ago. The one, the blessing that came out of that for me is we're watching that. And again, I'm sitting there, I'm just squirming. I'm just driving me crazy. But my son, who's now 15, he was like 10 at the time when the movie came out. He kept on saying, dad, that's not how it happened. Like, yeah, yeah, right on, yeah. Anyway, sorry. We get, okay, so back Second Chronicles now, like I said, to put the pieces together, you see a whole lot more of the picture. And like I said, amazing. He takes this and he says, God, this isn't my problem. This is your problem. These threats that are coming against me and against your people, you're our God. And we see how God responds to that. So verse 20, back in 32, you'll see why we filled all of this in because the chronicler jumps over a bunch of stuff. But verse 20, King Hezekiah and Isaiah, the prophet, son of Amos, praised about, or prayed about this and cried out to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel, destroyed every mighty warrior, commander and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land. And when he entered the temple of his God, some of his own children killed him there with the sword. Verse 22, so the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all the others, uh, and guided them on every side. Many were bringing gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and choice presents to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations. In those days, we covered this in chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. He prayed to the Lord. The Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. Verse 25, but Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. So even again, here we see Hezekiah. 
the greatest king before and since, even the best of men are still men at best. And here we see even he became proud. But verse 26, however, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart. Isaiah confronts him. We see that again in in 2 Kings. You can finish reading chapter 20. Basically, Babylon comes. A few messengers from Babylon comes. And in his pride, he shows all of them all of the riches, all of the gold, all of the silver. They leave. Isaiah said, who are they? Oh, just a couple of people from Babylon. Nobody ever really heard of Babylon yet until they overthrew the Assyrians and then came and overthrew Judah. And Isaiah said, because you did that, they're going to go back. They're going to talk about that. They're going to know how much you can. They're going to come back for that. And he tells us he humbles himself after that. He realizes the foolishness of his pride and how his pride then got him and the entire country in trouble because of that. It will happen years after Hezekiah, however. Um, Both he and the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in the days of Hezekiah. It would come again later, not because of Hezekiah, but because of the, the wicked rulers of Judah then. Now, Hezekiah had immense riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries of silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields of all kinds, various articles. Storehouses also for the produce of grain, wine, and oil. Pens for all the kinds of cattle and sheepholds for the flocks. He made cities for himself, acquired flocks and herds in abundance. For God had given him very great wealth. And he recognized this is directly from the hand of God. It was Hezekiah who stopped up the upper outlet, the waters of Gihon, and directed them to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all he did. Even in the matter of the envoys, the rulers of Babylon He sent to him to inquire of the wonder of what had happened in the land. God left him alone to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. And that's what's speaking. The rulers of Babylon come. He showed him that God stepped back, allowed him his pride to show. It wasn't so that God would know what was in his heart. It was so that Hezekiah would recognize the pride that was in his own heart. Verse 32, now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his deeds of devotion. Behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, the book of kings of Judah and Israel, which we've looked at. So Hezekiah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the upper section of the tombs, the son of David and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. And his son Manasseh became king in his place. And we'll pick up there next time. But I think that just to, just to kind of tie this together, to go back to the beginning. Remember, we talked about how good a king Hezekiah was and all the good things that he did. And it says in the midst of all of that, this is when this in, incredible trial came. And God uses trials and difficulties in every one of our lives, but the end, the result, the goal in that is all dependent on where you are in your walk with the Lord. If you're not a follower of God, God will use trials and difficulties in your life to bring you to that point of your understanding you desperately need him, to bring you to the point of repentance. If you are a born-again believer, but you have wandered away, you're not following after God, he will use trials and difficulties in your life to discipline, to chastise, as Hebrews 12 tells us. He disciplines those whom he loves as children. But if you are a born-again believer and following after the Lord and, and searching after him and seeking after him with all of, your, all of your heart, 
Don't think that a trial that comes is, again, now a punishment. Or God uses those things to refine us, to, to, to prepare us and to keep moving us along. And I, I love that in this, in this story. Here we have a man, Hezekiah, a godly man. And how God uses that not only for, for his own faith, but to strengthen the faith of the people. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he's, he's speaking of the work that he's doing and his desire is to come back to Corinth and to see them. But he says, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, verse nine of chapter 16, for a wide door of effective service has opened up for me. God is using, opened up this great door for me to reach the people here. He says, and there are many adversaries. We need to understand that, guys. Following hard after God, wanting to be used by him in great ways, the enemy's not just going to kick back and say, yeah, go ahead. Matter of fact, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, will face persecution, not might. If we desire to be used by God, we need to expect persecution to come, expect resistance to come. I've quoted Adrian Rogers many times. One of my favorite quotes again from him is, if you're not button heads with the enemy on a regular basis, you're probably walking the same way he is. James tells us, you know this, but it's important. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when encountering various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Asking for wisdom, asking to be used by God. And I shared with you guys a few weeks ago. I, it's, I don't know. It's, when we, we ask for things, it would be great if we could just take a pill. And there it is. When we ask for wisdom, God doesn't just touch you and say, there you go. No, he, we ask for wisdom. He's faithful to give it. Especially, if, again, ex, expecting that to come. In Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes this, not that I speak from want, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Key word, learned. He didn't say, God, I want to be content. And God said, okay. No, he took him through an extended course. And he learned how to be content. I know how to get along in humble means. Also how, know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and sufferings. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Learned that <laughs> through difficulties, through trials, through successes. And again, Romans 8, 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who, who love God called according to his purposes. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's why. To be conformed to the image of his son. Isn't that what we all want as Christians? So that way he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined, he also called those whom he called, he also justified those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also in him, with him, freely give us all things? The difficulties, the trials, because we want to be like Jesus. It's not just that little, you know, knock on the noggin. <laughs> he takes us through things. He molds us. He shapes us. Again, as James was saying. Just in the last moment here, I, and I know I'm, children's ministry will have to forgive me. Chapter 19, 2 Kings, that we looked at. It says that Hezekiah humbled himself. He tore his clothes. It says that he went and entered the house of the Lord. He was only able to go so far. Back in Hezekiah's day, there was the, even a king could only go to a certain place. He couldn't enter the holy place. There's only one that could enter the holy of holies once a year, and that's the high priest once a year on the day of atonement. The, 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 the veil was between that. Hezekiah couldn't even, couldn't get anywhere close to that. Guys, we can go all the way to the throne of grace, the holy of holies, because of Jesus, because of what he did. And it tells us that Hezekiah went, and he went and he prayed, but he didn't go alone. He went with some friends. He went with Isaiah. He humbled himself, and he prayed. And I don't know what, you're facing tonight, what you're going through, what perhaps maybe a deception that the world has brought that you've bought into the lie. Maybe you've wandered away from God dealing with, dealing with something. Or maybe it's just as simple as you're here and you're, you love the Lord and you're going after him, but you're facing a trial right now. And the enemy is lying to you. He's whispering to you saying, see, you're a follower of God. And this is what's happening. God is not always cracked up to be easy. If you're going through anything like that, if you're, if you're, de- whatever it might be, we're here together tonight. And I, I, I want to ask you to do something maybe a little crazy right now, but I want to ask you to humble yourself to the point that says, you know what? I, I need prayer for whatever it might be. We're together here tonight as believers before the, the throne of grace, and we're here together. So if that's you and you want prayer for anything, we don't need to get into specifics. If you want to hang around afterwards, talk specifics with people around you to pray, that's great. But for the sake of time, God knows. And if you would just humble yourself before God right now and say, God, this is for you. Would you stand? Praise God. Now, the rest of you who are around, would you stand with them and place your hands on them? 
And let's go before the God of grace together, the throne of grace together. And let's pray. God, you are the king of the universe. And Lord God, we are in awe of the fact that we can come directly to your throne and we don't have to take a number. We don't have to beg for your attention. But Jesus, because of of your sacrifice on our behalf, because the veil was torn in two from top to bottom, we know that you not only hear our prayer, but you are eager to answer. So God, we bring these things to you. You know the details of these things far greater than we do. Just like you knew the details of the Assyrians far greater than even Hezekiah did. Lord, we as your children, we lift them up to you and we say, God, this is for you. We trust you to deal with these things. Whatever it is, God, we give them to you right now. And we trust you with them. Lord Jesus, have your way in us. We thank you for your word. We thank you. <laughs> we thank you for your word that's better than any movie. We can stand on your word. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week. And if you do need prayer, I know Bob is here. And um, anybody else that would need prayer, you need, come on up. We'd love that opportunity to pray with you. God bless you guys.